My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Dr. Richard Schwartz. Dr. Schwartz is the founder of Internal Family Systems Therapy. This pioneering form of healing first emerged in his work in the early 1980s. It has since become a widely used, evidence-based method for helping people heal from trauma. It is the most hopeful method that I have ever encountered when it comes to trauma recovery. I had the opportunity to study with Dr. Schwartz last year, and I can safely say that in my 40 years on this planet, that week with Dr. Schwartz is in the top three most important experiences of my life, second only to the day I married my wife and the days that my children were born. Simply put, Dr. Richard Schwartz transformed my life. So that's a pretty big claim, I know. My hope is that our conversation today will give you at least some hint, some taste as to why this work is so powerful and so important. We dig into the discoveries that Dr. Schwartz made when he was working as a family therapist and a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Many of his clients were victims of intense personal or domestic trauma, and their experiences had left them struggling with a wide range of issues, from eating disorders to addiction to self-harm. But everything his studies in family therapy had taught him seemed to be of little use to his patients. They weren't getting any better. When he started asking his patients why, why isn't this working, he learned that they were burdened by what they called parts. Parts of themselves that made them do things, berated them, caused them to panic, and that resisted any efforts to live life differently. These patients became his teachers, and what emerged through the course of decades of working with him was a model for human nature that is completely different than the one most of us have grown up with particularly here in the U.S. in a culture that celebrates rugged individualism and shortchanges mental, emotional, racial, and cultural diversity. The fundamental idea at the core of Dr. Schwartz's work is that all of us have parts. All of us are multiple. That when we say I, it might make more sense to say we or they. And at the center of this internal family that each of us have, there is a core self that is capable of leading us and healing us through anything we might encounter in life. I'm giving you all these details because I'm a believer, if that's not clear by now. I've met my own internal family of parts firsthand, and it has shifted how I show up for me, my wife, my children, and my clients. In fact, I have the experience again today. 
Dr. Schwartz turns the tables on me in this conversation by inviting me to go through some more parts work with him on the spot. Doing this publicly feels edgy to me, but in this moment of deep and dire need for collective healing from the trauma we've done to ourselves, particularly to people of color and black people in America, I couldn't say no to his invitation. My hope is that it opens a doorway into your own journey of personal healing and service of healing for everyone in our country and on this planet. So, let's get settled in. And hear what Dr. Schwartz has for us. Dick, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. My... Listeners will have heard this in the in the intro that I recorded that I've had a chance to do some study with you last year. And they'll hear have heard a bit about what you're up to in the world. But the first thing I want to say to you is just really deep gratitude for not only taking this time, yes, for that, but also for the commitment you've made with your life to helping people heal. Mm-hmm. I really encounter you as someone who's walking the walk and sometimes that feels really rare these days. So thank you for that. Thank you, Andy. And uh, I think I've told you how much I feel like you get this and how much I enjoy your company. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. The, our time in December really unlocked a lot for me. It was, was one of the most transformative weeks of my life. So I'm, excited for people to get a taste of that. My hope is that by the end of this hour or so conversation, people have at least some sense of what might be possible when we start to shift how we relate to ourselves Mm -hmm. and how we relate to each other as a result of that. Mm -hmm. I wonder for those who are maybe hearing internal family systems, hearing that, that phrase for the first time, I wonder if you could just say, a, a minute or two about about what you mean by internal family systems. And I'll be sure to have some resources for people who want to dig deeper. I don't want to spend a ton of time here because I know that you share this a lot, but I think just to help people orient into what it is we're talking about when we, when we say this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a different paradigm for understanding the mind and human nature. And uh, the, one of the basic assumptions is that that we're all multiple personalities in the sense that we all have these what I call parts, which are little inner personalities that uh, when we talk, when we think we're thinking are really just their conversations a lot of the time. And the good news about it is that they're all valuable. So mm-hmm. my position, it's the ma- basic nature of the mind to be multiple that way. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing because we can't do everything we need to with just one mind. So we have a bunch that have little uh, different resources and technical abilities and, um, and that help us through life. But that trauma and detachment injuries force them out of their naturally valuable states and also kind of freeze them in time and time in difficult scenes in the past. And so they can become quite extreme and anachronistic in a sense. 
And that's where symptoms come in a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And when you say, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. When you say anachronistic, you mean in a sense that they are behaving in a way that they've behaved since, since that moment, whatever might've happened that, that caused them to start behaving that way. Yeah. And I, I'm also saying it in the sense that when you were five years old, you needed them to do this job. They did mm-hmm. protect you and it was mm-hmm. effective because you're still alive, but they're still thinking you're still five years old and they still think they have to protect you this way. Mm-hmm. And they don't now that you're grown up. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean also. Yeah. Yeah. So that's parts. And uh, they, you know, the ones that get hurt the most tend to be before they got hurt, these delightful, creative, playful, joyful inner children. But because they're so open and, and sensitive, they do get hurt the most by traumas. Hmm. And they carry after that what I'm going to call the burden of emotional pain or shame or terror or uh, betrayal, all those things. And now we don't want to be around them anymore because they can pull us into those feelings and pull us back into the scenes they're stuck in. And so we naturally, in a way, try to lock them away inside. And other people around us tell us to do that because ours is a rugged individualist culture that says, don't look back, just move on. Hmm. Leave all that behind you. Hmm. So we call those the exiled parts. And again, they're often quite young and vulnerable and are the parts of us that were hurt the most. And then once they're exiled, we no longer have access to their their feelings or our uh, delightful qualities. And once you get a bunch of exiles, the world becomes more dangerous and you become more delicate. So a lot of other parts are forced into these protective roles, which uh, some of them are trying to manage your life so the exiles never get triggered. So they'll try to manage your relationships or your appearance or your performance. And they can become quite critical in doing that or they might want to take care of everybody so nobody ever... Uh, judges you, or so on and so on. It's what we call manage, common managerial roles they're forced into. Hmm. But the world has a way of breaking through those defenses and triggering the exiles. And when that happens, you need another set of parts whose job it is to immediately get you out of that, that pain or terror or shame and tend to do it in a very uh, impulsive way a lot of the time. And uh, they don't care about the collateral damage to your body or your relationships. They just know they have to get you higher than the pain or, or uh, you know, distract you till it burns itself out. Mm-hmm. So we call them firefighters. They're fighting the flames of exile's emotion. Mm-hmm. So that's a little map that I, that I came up with. I'm a, basically a systems thinker, and that's the sort of system that traumatized people uh, find themselves in. and But the big discovery of IFS came from my work as, as a systems thinker, a family therapist, trying to get these parts to get along differently as I got to know they weren't what they, th- they seemed to be. And as I was trying to get that to happen in 
sometimes two would talk and I would get a third to step back out of the way because it was interfering. And the more I would get parts to step back and open space inside, the more it seemed this, this other person would pop out spontaneously and would start to heal everything, would know how to relate to these parts in a healing way. And it was like the same person would pop out in different clients and would almost take over the session. And when I asked, what part of you is that? People would say, that's not a part like these others. That's me, or that's myself. So I came to call that the self with a capital S. And the, that's the big discovery of IFS, that that self is in everybody, can't be damaged, has all these great, what I call C-word qualities, like curiosity, calm, compassion, confidence, courage, clarity, uh, <laughs> and there are eight of them, connectedness mm. and creativity. That, that's pretty universal. And that's who we really are. And that person in there, once released, knows how to both heal internally and also externally with re external relationships. And like I said, is in everybody and can't be damaged. And uh, I can only say that now after almost 40 years of doing this and thousands of people doing it all over the world, we all are finding that self is right there, just beneath the surface of these parts, such that when they open space, you turn into that person and you start to relate from those qualities. Yeah. So anyway, that's a, a very brief um, <laughs> description of IFS. Yes. yes, thank you. Thank you for that. You said something earlier Something in the effect of the, the, what we encounter as thinking is often one of these parts, maybe a often not a protector or manager usually, because those are the ones that are most present in our day-to-day, -day, making sure, like as I was coming into this call, a part of me was thinking, okay, I'm here with Dick Schwartz. He's the founder of IFS. I got to make sure I look good. Oh no, I'm running a minute late. He's going to be upset. Da -da 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 -da. I just... Fortunately, because yeah. of the work we did together, I was able to just really slow down and ask that and recognize that that part was trying to manage how I appeared. So exactly. just relax and say, I'm going to get there when I get there. If Dick's upset, we'll work on it and then we'll dive in. Yeah. So yourself was talking to those parts yeah. who were very, very worried. And yeah, so thinking is either hearing from one of them or listening to a dialogue between a couple of them or three of them. <sighs> And most of the time, we just do that. We think we're thinking rather than helping them in the way you just helped them. Because uh, there is that you who can calm everybody down and have them talk in a, in a less extreme way. Right. One, uh, the reason I wanted to flag that as, as really important insight is a lot of people who, know, who, who follow this podcast and who know about my work know that I'm really passionate about what we might call mindfulness, like sort of this umbrella catch-all for meditative practices, awareness, focus, concentration, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But there is a there is a through line in a lot of meditative practices, which often still result in very beautiful outcomes. That a, that essentially says something like, all of that thinking that's happening needs to be ignored or repressed or excised. Um, erased, let go of. And when you do all of that, then 
something else comes through. And, and, and what I'm noticing in your framework is it's, they're close. There's this core thing that comes through, but rather than trying to excise all of that noise in the mind, we're actually going closer to it to better understand the complexity of it, to better understand which part of us is thinking that thought at this moment. Yeah, exactly. I actually just uh, completed a draft of a book for Sounds True, which will, uh, it's one of the big topics in that book, is this persistent and pernicious uh, belief in the spiritual community that the ego is the enemy or the monkey mind or the conditioned mind, you know, that that that's uh, something to be ignored at best and to be disdained. And for me, it's just a collection of these managers Mm. who are trying their best to keep you safe. And the more you try to ignore them, the more, the stronger they're going to get. And you'll get more and more addicted to the meditation to try and uh, keep your mind clear. And and they'll just keep battling away to try and protect you. So, There is a whole different approach in IFS to meditation, which involves noticing the parts that are there and then respectfully asking if they wouldn't mind separating for 20 minutes. And you'll notice they all calm down and, and you can do this. You get to the same place, basically. Yes. But you do it in a respectful way. Yes. And they also uh, don't feel like you're not listening to them. They they. Don't feel the need to backlash or or uh, work harder to get at you, and you don't wind up in what John uh, Wellwood called the spiritual bypass, where mm-hmm. you're using the meditation to get away from your exiles. Instead, you're getting away from all your parts for a brief time, but so that you can bring more self to your parts later. So that's all quite different. Yeah, beautiful. So we have essentially in in your map of this inner family system, we have these three parts. There are the these young parts, many of whom have been hurt in some way by life. And it might be hurt with a big H um, and you've worked with people with addiction and abuse and post-traumatic stress disorder, or it might be hurt in a smaller way, um, you know, some moment of neglect from a parent, even if it's not intentional or some act of bullying in the schoolyard or some, something that might cause that part to suffer. Mm -hmm. And, and then we have other parts, protectors, managers who keep those first parts at bay because the emotion of that hurt can be overwhelming or feels like it could be overwhelming. So we've got kind of the, the, and I think a lot of people will relate to the, those, those categories of parts like that we might call them the inner critic or the people pleaser or the peacemaker, or right, we can come up with a lot of generic names to talk about those parts of us who are sort of always managing how we show up in the world and managing, make sure you don't show too much emotion, emotion, make sure you don't say the wrong thing, make sure all that stuff. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, those categories don't speak to the nature of the parts. They speak to the roles yes. they were forced into. And one of the big benefits of IFS is that as you get to know them and love them and listen to them and take them out of where they're stuck in the past, you can help them unburden 
at which point they'll transform out of these roles and be who they're designed to be. Hmm. And as you do that with your exiles, then your, your protectors can all relax and are very eager, actually, to transform. So this is a model of transformation as opposed to many mindfulness practices, which are more about acceptance, you know, radically accepting anything that comes along. That's a good first step, but it's also possible to help these parts out of the miserable, miserable states they're in so they can be who they're designed to be. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could look at, uh, I, I sense that some people listening would be like, okay, this sounds, something ring, is ringing true here, but it still feels a little abstract. Maybe in whatever way you're comfortable, you could share how you've done this work with someone and how that's helped them unburden and as a result transform because that's really powerful. And I, and I'll say, by the way, that I experienced that for myself in our work together in December. And since then there's been much more self-love and self-compassion around myself and others as I show up in the world. So that's a really beautiful gift. Well, if you're up for it, Andy, it might be better for you just to describe what you did and then we can actually do another little piece here to illustrate it. I think that's, more compelling for people. Yes. Okay. Okay, sure. When we were together in December, um, I met... So essentially, you have this process that you call parts mapping. And uh, you use an analogy, I think, is it like a, a, a garlic, like cloves of garlic, mm-hmm. right? So we often think of ourselves like layers of an onion, which is useful. But there's... Mm-hmm. but. But the close of garlic is this idea that that actually there are multiple things all stuck together to make this one collective thing. And that we can kind of go to any clove within a larger bulb of garlic and sort of get at what's actually going on inside. Exactly. They're, and that they're was really useful. Independent oh, little systems of parts, groups yes. of parts. Yeah. yeah. So you invited me to do a map that you led me through. And I met five different parts in that process. I met a part of myself that was, I would maybe argue was the dominant, if we were to use your language, the dominant manager or the dominant protector. Mm-hmm. And he is a part that really wants to make sure I show up and appear a certain way that I'm polished, that I achieve, you know, that I, that I do the things that other people want me to do so that, that I'm loved and embraced and welcomed and affirmed and all of that stuff. And he sort of showed up in my mind as kind of the sunglasses, suit, sort of young, 20-something, stylish, well-dressed version of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another part who I realized connected to a time in my life. It was probably around 11. And when I was uh, an adolescent, when I was in middle school, I was, I was overweight or I had more weight than I do now. And I had this, I have still have this scar on my stomach and it's a scar from surgery that I had when I was an infant, mm. but the scar is visibly, um, this, this part of me that wants to look stylish and good is would say that part that that scar is visibly unattractive and unappealing in that essentially had a moment where I was out in public and I heard other kids making fun of me for the scar. Mm-hmm. And again, this is like, you know, in retrospect, this is H with, this is hurt with a small H, you know, I wasn't attacked or assaulted or, 
but it was really hard for an 11 year old kid to feel incredibly self-conscious of his weight and of the scar on his stomach. And what I discovered in, in our work over that week, and this is just one part, there's lots more, like if anyone listening, if you can get a chance to do a week with Dick, like definitely do it. But these were two of the five parts I met. I discovered they had a relationship and the relationship was the stylish part of me was saying to that 11 year old boy, just stay in the background, mm-hmm. just keep not showing people how you really are because they will make fun of you for it. Yeah. And so in the process of our work together, I was able to just ask that, that protector, that stylish one say, can you just, can we make some space to talk to the 11 year old? Mm-hmm. And he, he, after a little bit relented. And I think that was probably in part because the emotion of what we might call that exile, that 11 year old wasn't, it didn't feel totally overwhelming. It felt like we could handle it. That's right. And so I was able to get in touch with that, that part of myself. And I discovered that he was still essentially living by that swimming pool where he would had been with his shirt off and had been made fun of. And that, and that the protector wasn't letting him leave that swimming pool. And he was really lonely there mm-hmm. that he just wanted to come out and be in the world again. And as a, as a result of me not wanting to appear a certain way, that part just kept saying, nope, stay back there, stay back there, stay back there. So we were able on that day to just create space for the two parts to have dialogue and basically for both of them to sit together mm-hmm. in a way that they never had before, which was less lonely for the 11-year-old and was also helpful for the part of me that was trying to manage everything to sort of see that this is okay. <laughs> no one around you is freaking out. No one around you is making fun of you. Like you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. What I was able to do by the end of the week was actually help that 11 year old self let go of the burden of being ashamed of how he looked. Mm-hmm. And I actually did that by going with him and with the part. So now we've got this core self that you described. I was able to sit in that core self and just say, do you want to stay here by this pool anymore? And he said, no, I don't want to stay here anymore. Mm-hmm. And I said to the part that was managing everything, are you willing to let him come out and be with us? Mm-hmm. And we ended up emptying like the, the, the move, the unburdening move, which is something that you, you can maybe talk about after I've described my version of it was to go swim to the three of us to swim to the bottom of the pool, to pull out the plug that was holding all the water in the pool and to let the pool drain out completely and watch as nature came back in and grew back in and sort of filled in this, this old in-ground swimming pool. And now it's sort of a place that I can go to and just say, see, look, the pool is, it's just filled with nature now. And we can come back if we want to, but we don't have to. You're, you're welcome now to be a part of my life. And so that 11 year old self just is, he kind of grew up in the process. He, he now lives near an ocean <laughs> instead of a pool. He now is able to communicate with the part of me that's always managing things. Mm-hmm. And it felt incredibly, I felt light. I still feel light. I feel light talking about it. There's a real sense of self-love and compassion that I hadn't been permitting myself because I was carrying shame and embarrassment around that time from at this point, it was, you know, 25 ish years ago that that happened. Um, so that was some work that we did in December. That was, that was transformative to use your language. And, uh, 
it's great to be able to talk about it now because I know people are going to hear it. And for mm-hmm. those who are listening, I feel to- it may like, I'm like, oh yeah, I could see how some people might think this sounds silly and I'm totally okay with that. Right? Like right. that's that sort of freedom that came from healing that part is, has rippled out into moments like this where I can share what's real for me without fear of shame or embarrassment, which I carried for a long time. That's beautiful, Andy, beautiful depiction of the work. And I'm really glad you could do all that in that week. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear the impact of it. So it's a nice follow-up for me to hear. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to share that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it really does convey, you know, it might be hard for people to imagine that someone could see all that inside and and uh, interact with these players in there as much as you did. But, uh, and it, it is hard to, to imagine it without actually trying it. Yes. But when people try it, they, they can do it. But everybody is as visual as you are. Like when I go inside, I don't see much, but I can sense my parts and I can hear their voices and I can work with them, you know, equally well. Uh, so anyway, it was really, that was a really great example. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for that invitation. I want, I want to say maybe one more thing, which speaks to what you just said that in the abstract can feel like it can feel hard or distant or difficult. And I remember that week, every time you invited us, you would often do things for the whole group. So a lot of what I just described, part of it happens you invited me to be in front of the group and do some mapping, but much of it happens collectively. You were leading the whole group with specific but open enough language that each of us could find our own way into the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember again and again talking like with myself and with others that it it felt very natural. It didn't feel, it was like, oh, oh yeah. That's what's going on here. <laughs> Just once we had some space to actually experience it, it didn't take long mm-hmm. for the experience to unfold. And it unfolded in beautifully unique ways for every single person in the group. I mean, everyone, there was just this wonderful sense of diversity of lived experience, diversity of, even although, although there are patterns that were maybe analogous in different people, like the specificity, of the, the high fidelity of each person's inner world was just a beautiful thing to, to touch and witness. Yeah, that's also a lovely description, too, because part of what I love about this work is you just never know where a person's going to go. And so every time is an adventure. And, uh, it also, and as you're saying... People are skeptical, but once they turn their focus inside, it all just comes to life. And and it's uh, it's remarkable that way that most everybody can do this and didn't know they could do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're recording this interview. It is, what's the date today? The 8th of June. Massachusetts, where we both live, is is in talks of entering phase two of a multi-phase reopening after the wake of this pandemic that we're still living with and will likely be living with in lots of ways for quite a long time. And, uh, and additionally, we're witnessing people stepping up to protest the murder of a number of lives, including George Floyd's life. 
And there's a lot of collective pain in the world right now. So one thing I'm, I was really excited to create space with, with you and for anyone who, who hears this was a conversation around how what we just talked about, which is a very personal and individual and inner journey towards more love and compassion for self and that sort of transformation of self relates to what we see happening out in the world. Um, and, I, and again, people might not hear this, you know, we're recording it on the 8th. People might not hear this for a few weeks or a few months. So, so fine, you're welcome to talk about current affairs if that's useful or just there's another way into this. But there's just a sense that we see a lot of people hurting each other. Um, and many times that hurt is oppressive. Other times that hurt is reactive to oppression there's just a lot going on right now. And I wonder how what's happening inside of us connects to what we're seeing in our world collectively. Yeah, so it's, that's a big question, a yeah. really good question. And I, I, I could talk at length about it. Um, so one thing I'll say is that as people get triggered by both the virus and then the other virus, you know, yes. uh, racism, uh, it brings up parts that ordinarily you don't get access to. And, and so that can be a really healing, this can be a really healing time because a lot of my clients were, were finding these exiles that uh, we had no even idea about a lot of the time and, and now we can heal them. So, so there is that opportunity which sometimes sounds gratuitous, but uh, has been, I think, valuable for all of us. And and that includes, especially for white people, uh, you know, the, the racist legacy burden parts that they carry, that they both uh, felt so ashamed of, <clears throat> so they exiled them. And as they surface, uh, try hard to exile them more. But I, my belief is that the virus, COVID-19, pulled the curtain back on this legacy burden of racism in a big way. Hmm. And then yes. the, the videos of the murders sort of ripped the curtain back to the point where it's just in our face as a culture. And that that all is really good. It's really something we've needed to face. And, uh, you know, the degree to which our president has contributed to putting it in our face, all of that is a big wake-up call. And what's really gratifying is to see how much our country is, is heeding that call right now and the potential for really valuable transformation is here as is the potential for very ugly and scary backlash. Hmm. And so it's, we're in that pivotal moment, you know, when they, when your audience hears this, we'll probably know which way it went. Hmm. Yeah. But you and I don't really know. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I do find that IFS can be very useful at a time like this. And I'm doing what I can to, to reach larger audiences, to try to 
in particular, what I one of my goals is, and, and this is a topic we have talked about, is to try to do more of a mass unburdening of this legacy burden of racism that uh, you know pervades anybody who grew up in the United States for sure. Yeah, and and again, most of us because we're so ashamed of it, have exiled it. And then it just becomes implicit racism Mm. out of our conscious control to actually stop ourselves with our blind spots. So I do believe there's a way to actually, especially now that we're all online so much, uh, to get large groups of people together and have them go to that part and listen to it and help it see it doesn't have to carry this burden anymore and unburden it yeah in the same way that you did with the you know with your overweight guy yeah i sense that you said something that is i sense there might be something we could could get specific around that might help people start to get a handle on that that insight that if we can heal if we can bring that which is unconscious or exiled into our awareness and help it unburden and help it heal uh, then, then new things become possible. And you said like this moment is a wake up call for that. Mm-hmm. And the question that we don't know the answer to is whether or not we're going to keep answering that wake up call or go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share at the level of, of a, a specific client, and it doesn't necessarily have to relate to racism, although if it does beautiful, just just a kind of real lived visceral example of that around something that is we might say is is trauma with a big T or hurt with a big H. Because I mean my story I hope will resonate with many. And I can also very understandably imagine people say, like, okay, well, you got bullied when you were a kid. Like, you know, particularly compared to what I've been through as a black person or as a woman or whatever the the you know, or through addiction or being in combat, like there's lots of things that that's nice, Andy, you got to unburden that, that, but what about me? What about this? And I'm wondering if we could maybe start from that particular and see if we can then come around to this possibility of mass unburdening and systemic stuff that you're, you share. You know, um, we have a video out now of me working with a member of our community who's black and started an organization called Black Therapist Rock. Hmm. And uh, uh, very courageously in the middle of our interview, volunteered to do a piece of work. And so we worked with her protector, which is a part that I think many, many uh, people of color in our country have, which says never show your vulnerability, especially to a white person and always stay on guard and and we got permission from it to go to her exile, which, you know, she grew up in poverty. And uh, this exile showed scenes of her and her family dumpster diving. And, uh, and yeah, and it was, and we could get that little girl out of that scene and unburden her. And, uh, and then the protector relaxed a lot. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, just one example. Yeah. But if you were up for it, I think it'd be great <laughs> if uh, if you were open to working with that part of you that's racist. Yeah, 
<laughs> I am open for it. It feels um, edgy. It feels vulnerable, but I wouldn't be walking the walk if I weren't open for it. And yeah, I'm happy to. And my hope is that if we do the work, it will serve. Um, by the way, I'll, I'll share this in the notes, but I'm planning on starting an ally group for white people who want to do this kind of work. So Fantastic. this is part of it. So yes, I'm willing to do it and, and hopeful that we can open something up here. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and, and focus on that part of you that carries racist uh, beliefs, maybe says some racist things in there sometimes. See if you can find it in your body, around your body. (laughs) Noticing maybe two parts. One that's really present who I've met before is sort of around my voice. I almost feel sensation in my mouth and my lips. Mm -hmm. And there's something else that's not that part that feels a little harder to pin down. It feels evasive, but it seems to me that there might be two parts here we could check in with. Okay. Well, let's check in first with the one you're more aware of. Yeah. In your mouth and your, in your, yeah. Okay. And just notice how you feel toward it as you notice that. Yeah, I've had a chance to connect with him before, and he's maybe five or six or seven years old. Okay. And there's a particular memory associated with that. So I feel I feel some compassion towards him. I, okay. Yeah. So let him know that and see how he reacts to your compassion. Yeah. Yeah, he's been seeing me do all this work the past, you know, six months. So he's he knows that I see him and he feels he feels safe. Okay, good. And just see if he wants you to know more about that scene where he's stuck. There's more he wants you to get about it or feel or sense or see. Yeah. So the last time I connected with him, the scene is um, with an adult in my life who I care about very much. And we're in a public place. And it's the first time that I've seen a black person before. I grew up in the suburbs, mostly white people. Sheltered life, a lovely life in a lot of ways, but very sheltered. And so the first time I went to the scene with this person, it was that I asked at that time, I asked the adult who I was with that I love and trust and still love and trust why that man's skin was dirty. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was curiosity, you know, it was just a child's curiosity. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen someone with different color skin like that before. Right. And the adult that I was with was understandably very embarrassed because I asked the question with an earshot. 
And that embarrassment led to some kind of pulling away, wrenching away, a quick, maybe a quick apology to the, to the black man who I'd asked the question about. And then just to kind of like, don't ask questions like that again. Okay. So what this part is telling me today is, is actually in the week that we were together, where I was able to let go of the, like that, that part was able to unburden this part who lives in my mouth, my lips, the six-year-old boy was able to let go of shame around being curious. Mm-hmm. But what he wants me to know now is there's something now connecting to this adult in my life who I love and trust. There is still fear attached to how my curiosity might hurt them and might also hurt people like that man who I asked about the color of his skin. Mm -hmm. So the curiosity is here, but there's also still a sense of not wanting to hurt anyone else. Yeah. And that's coming from that boy or it's coming from somewhere else? Just It's coming from that boy. Yeah. Does it make sense? Go ahead. Does it make sense that he would fear that? Yes. Let him know. You get that. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. And ask if he still lives back there in that time, that scene. He doesn't live back there, but he's afraid that the person... He's afraid that both of the people who were there still live back there. Okay. Would he like you to go back with him and and see what you can do about that? (laughs) He kind of just wants me to tell him that they're okay. Okay. Which I don't know. I don't actually know if they're okay. So I'm having, yeah, so maybe we should go back there. I'm not sure. Let's give it a try. Yeah. So go ahead and take him back to that scene. And just be with him in the way he needed somebody. And tell me when you're there with him. Okay. We're here. Now ask him what he wants you to do back there with him or for him. Okay, I've got it. And then go ahead and do that while he is with you or he watches. Yeah, and, and what was that like for him to watch? Yeah, he's really happy. He just wanted, uh, you know, the adult that he loves and trusts. And this man who he realizes he may have inadvertently hurt with his curiosity. He just wanted those two adults to see each other and connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh rather than 
feeling ashamed or embarrassed or he doesn't really know what the man would have felt, but whatever he might have felt, just seeing that there are two human beings, two adults who could connect and laugh at the silliness of a kid and maybe even connect as parents or as people. Mm -hmm. So he just asked me to help him with that. And in this space, that's all I've done is just let the adult that I love and trust actually speak to and apologize to that man and then talk to him and inquire about him rather than simply running away in embarrassment and shame. Okay, good. So is that everything that the boy wanted or is there anything more? No, that's everything. All right, so let's take him from the scene wherever he wants to go that's safe and comfortable. Yeah, got it. And tell me, he never has to go back. You're going to be taking care of him. Okay. And see if now he'd like to unload that fear and anything else he still carries from that time. <laughs> yes, very much so. Where does he carry all that in his body or on his body? It's in his throat. In yeah. his mouth. Yeah, that makes sense. What would he like to give it all up to? Light, water, fire, wind, earth, anything else? <sighs> he wants to give it up to the light. All right, so let's bring in the light. And uh, when he's in it, Tell him to just let all that go out of his mouth and throat into the light. Let it go. How's he doing now? He's really happy. It's great. And if he wants, he can invite qualities he'd like to come into his body now. Hmm. <sighs> yeah, he wants to keep the curiosity, but also. I don't know what the word is, maybe courage. To not yeah. be afraid of adults, to yeah. see that adults are hurting too and that he can actually help them connect and heal. That's great. Yeah. And the, the light that he sent it to, sort of just like almost pouring out of his mouth, was into the sun. And the sun just took it all up and now he just is enjoying being underneath the sun. That's great. So he can just stay there for now. And you mentioned a more elusive one. Do you want to see if we can find that now? Yes. All right, so see if you can find it.
This is a it's kind of hard to describe, but it almost feels like, like the image that's coming through is like a snake or a serpent or a coil or a rope sort of wound around my upper spine and up to my neck. So kind of okay. the upper back and the neck. How do you feel toward it as you notice that? A little scared. All right. But there's a rule in this work. There's nothing inside of you that can hurt you if you're not afraid of it. Yeah. So let's get all the fear into a kind of waiting room while we while we deal with this thing. Oh, yeah. I see. I see who's afraid. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so. Okay. How do you feel toward it now? Curious. Caring. Okay. So let it know. And just see what it is. See what it wants you to know about itself. Don't you know something? No, it's it's seeing that I care. But it, it's still afraid to let me know. Okay. Ask about that. What's its fear? Hmm. It was to let you know about itself. It's afraid that a lot of the people that we love and care about would get hurt. And it's afraid that they would hurt us in turn. Okay. So it feels better to be invisible. That's why it's been kind of coiling up and hiding deep inside. But ask it more about why it thinks that would be the outcome. sometimes it thinks things about people based on how they look, the color of their skin, their facial features. Yeah. And it knows that that is hurtful. Yeah. We'll tell it, we're going to help it unload that, that uh, stuff that it makes it think those things. Yeah. We're not going to have it say, or tell, tell somebody those things. Okay. So, you know, see what it wants you to know about what it carries and how it judges. You, yeah. don't, have to, you don't have to tell me or I'd say it out loud, but... No, it actually... <laughs> that question seemed to strike something. It wants to let, let you know. Okay. 
It connects to the same pain of that 11-year-old. This this part has been around since at least I was 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. But it's the same kind of pattern. As a result of being treated like an outcast and an exile. Mm-hmm. When I was in middle school because of because of my weight, because of my esoteric interests, because of who I hung out with, because of who wouldn't hang out with me. One defense that it developed was to always find ways that I was better than other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it wants me to know and you to know that it feels like it was really poorly treated for a long time and just had to kind of burrow inside. Mm. Just making sense, Andy? Yes. Let it know you're getting this. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense that it would start judging others just to feel better about himself. Yes. Yeah, there are a number of very specific memories that I haven't thought about in a long time that it's sharing with me. It's really great. So we're just going to stay with this until it feels like you really get it. says that does it agree that you got it yes okay all right so now i want you to go to him that 13 year old and be with him in the way he needed somebody yeah how are you being with him There's a particular memory that's coming up. It's of us sitting at the lunch table with some of our friends, some of whom I'm still close with. And a young woman coming up. And I see now from the vantage of history that this young woman was really hurting. But in that moment, she was someone who had popularity and authority and credibility in the school in a way that none of us at the table did. And she came up and said some, something nasty to us while in the same breath, asking for us to give her money. And this part of me, in the same way he's kind of been coiled around my spine, he just sort of shrank up and felt really angry and really hurt and really upset that there were no adults there or no one there to stand up to this girl. So I'm being with him by simply helping him recognize that what she did had nothing to do with him. Good. And that he can sit up straight. He doesn't have to try and become more invisible. 
and that I see him and all of his friends who he's sitting with and all of their beauty. How's he reacting? Yeah. Yeah, there's a real... He's reacting very positively and that kind of coiling sensation is almost evaporated. Feels good. So would he like you to do anything else for him back there or is he ready to leave also? There is still a part of him that feels some kind of longing for retribution or reprimand to her specifically and to people more generally who have treated him poorly over the years. Okay, well, ask him to let you handle that and then go ahead and do whatever feels right with her. Okay. Yeah, what was that like for him to watch you do? (laughs) He's kind of blown away because he's still been living with this worldview that you can't possibly cross the cafeteria and go sit down at the table with those people. That would be a brazen act of defiance. But what he's seeing me is just do that patiently and You know, it almost doesn't matter how she responds to it, but that I can walk across and sit next to her and talk to her and explain how what she did was hurtful and let him know that it's not going to happen again and let her know that it's not appropriate for her to do that to people. He kind of feels impressed and excited by that as a possibility. Yeah. yeah, it feels really good. Okay, good. And now, is he ready to leave with you, or is there anything else he needs back there? He's ready to leave. All right, so let's take him also to some place he'd enjoy. Yeah, got it. And tell him also he never has to go back and you're going to take care of him. He hears that. Let's see if he's ready to unload these feelings and beliefs he got back there. 
Yeah, he's ready. Where does he carry all that in his body or on his body? It's, it's this hunched yeah. shoulders and neck and just kind of like, you know, he kind of can't even look straight at people because he kind of has to like just turn his head. Yeah, so it's just really hunching up in his shoulders and neck. Okay. What does he want to give all that up to? <sighs> fire. Right. So set up a fire and tell him to take it all out of his body and let the fire take it, take care of it. It's done. How's he doing now? It's great. It's like he's standing. It's like he's standing a foot taller or something. It's great. Yeah. And he actually. Wow. He actually sees a possibility where. If he found out that he had been to someone else in the same way that that girl had been to him, that he could have that conversation and apologize to them. And it just feels like witnessing that back there in the cafeteria was really eye-opening for him as a way to move through the world. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So he also can invite qualities in if he'd like, whenever he wants. Yeah, so this quality of self-trust and self-confidence. And also the ability to see, like to see that girl the way I could see her, which was as a hurting, insecure person in their own right, who was trying to find some kind of sense of self or worth by shitting on the kids at our table mm -hmm. and realizing that all of us are doing that and that he can actually help people by letting go of that own pattern in himself and meeting them where they are. Mm -hmm. So I don't know quite how to describe that as a quality, but... A realization is fine, yeah. Yeah. And a commitment. It's a commitment to that. It's great. Okay, so tell each of these two parts, you're going to check with them every day for a month or so? Yeah. They're happy about that. So does that feel complete for now? <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, it does. Come on back whenever you're ready. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dick. (laughs) I thank you. I think it's really going to help a lot of people to hear this. (sighs) Yeah, I hope so. I feel that. It took a lot of courage, so I I honor that. (sighs) Yeah, thank you. Welcome. I want to maybe just take, we've at the end of our official time, but I want to just maybe take another minute. I feel like there's something else I need to say. Okay. Yeah, take your time. I'm not in no rush. Okay. It seems to me that one of the kind of tragedies of the human condition is that the thing that we often need most or desire most is somehow intertwined with the thing we're most afraid of. And that so many of us are suffering because we we think that if we go to that vulnerable place or if we go to that childhood place we will be anything from the fear of being kind of seen as an outcast all the way up to the fear of being destroyed Mm -hmm. and for good reason we see people who are Mm -hmm. destroyed for trying to be who they are so I guess I just want to like my, my fierce hope in this moment, having just gone through that experience is the hope that we can find enough of each other, like that enough of us can find ways to do this for ourselves so that those people who are still caught up by the parts that are afraid and vengeful and angry and skeptical and hurtful might begin to see what's possible by letting go of some of that fear and anger. That's totally my hope, too. It's, it's my life's vision. Yeah. It's like, I can't, I can't go, you know, I, w- I wish I could go and, and fix, quote unquote, fix our president, right? Many of us do. And, and he sort of is this embodiment of a lot of energy that we see played out in many parts of our society. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this strong impulse to want to fix them as the problem. But there's sort of sense that if all of us on that side, on the quote unquote other side who are trying to fix them, instead we're able to really connect to this source of power that you're helping me connect with now, mm-hmm. something very different might begin to happen in our collective conversation, in our collective body. So thank you for that, showing me that possibility. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, um, you know, what you did today is going to help you access more self as you start to do as you start to do the work in the outside world, uh, which is called anti-racism. But um, and my belief is there is a kind of field of self that's way beyond you and me. Hmm. 
and it's covered over by fields of hate and fear in our planet. And the more we do this kind of work and we access our own self, the more we're also releasing the global self, the collective self, the planet self. Hmm. And self heals regardless of what level of system. Hmm. So I'm echoing what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, that is my deepest wish for us as we find a way towards that healing. One one last question, Dick, which is really maybe a bit more of a something that hopefully folks can take away for themselves is if they listen to this conversation, there's a chance, in fact, I'll make sure to say this in the introduction, that they could participate. You know, that they could they could actually do the work of connecting with a part of themselves that has been carrying some of that racist legacy in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And also maybe connect with a protector who's been trying to dampen that. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you invited me to just check in with these parts now that they've unburdened every day. So if I've, if I've been listening to this and I've maybe even gone in and done some work for myself and feel like I have more space than I did when it started, what would that check-in look like? How, would, how could I continue to engage with this so that it wasn't just kind of a cool, you see, experience that then I don't know what to do with when I get back into my day-to-day? Yeah, I mean, if it, in your case, my hope is that you would just meet with both those boys because uh, they're now at this point easy to access, I see. Yes. yes. And just say inside, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Uh, are you still living in the good place? And that's about it. It doesn't be much more than that. But yeah. uh, when you can, when you do follow up like that, it makes a big difference. And most people can do that on their own. So it's one yeah. of the I like most about IFS. Yeah, wonderful. So there's just a real simple, lovely invitation to once you meet a part and help it unburden, or even if you haven't yet helped it unburden, maybe maybe listening to this, you notice that you have a part that's hypercritical of yourself mm-hmm. or a part that's always trying to please others. Mm-hmm. A great starting point is just to notice them and connect with them and see them and check yeah. in with them. Or a part that spouts racist stuff. Yes. Just yeah. to know it's just a part and it carries this pervasive legacy burden that we all carry. Yeah. Beautiful. Dick, thank you for being on the Wonder Dome. This has been a real honor. Thank you for your gifts in the world. We need all of it right now. Thank you for doing this, Andy. I think it's a great podcast. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Actually, Dick, before we go, uh, I'll have this all on the show notes, but if people are listening right now and they want to go find out more, where should they go? Website is ifs-institute.com. Okay, great the Internal Family Systems Institute, ifs-institute.com. Wonderful. Thanks, Dick, and take care, everyone. Thanks for being here. All right, Eddie. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serquois, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find The Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on 
and keep this show going for as long as I'm able. But 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.